praise God, Chad was exaggerating a bit. Uh, I, didn't, I would have told him the page numbers of my message if I knew he was going to say that because that would scare you. But he did exaggerate. He said 27 pages. I told him, he must have misheard me, 26 pages. Okay? So, <laughs> but uh, that means I have to be careful not to ad-lib too much and get done on time. Amen? We used to get, have a two-hour service. Now we've shortened it by 15 minutes. So I try to get, so even if we're a few minutes long, it's like we're still a lot earlier than we were, you know? But I'll still shoot for that time. Uh, but, man, I love Thanksgiving. Not just, the, I have to admit, I have to be an honest guy, though, man. I love the food for sure, right? Now I'm doing keto, and I'm like, Lord, I think I might go off keto for that day, you know, just so I can have some pie or something. Jim's smiling really big with his head bobbing up and down over there. Okay, Jimmy, you bring a good dessert. Jimmy's coming over to my house. Uh, so, uh, you guys, we should be, be just thankful all the time, and people don't recognize how being thankful is, is a total game changer for your whole life. The key to, a huge key to joy in your life, to not being depressed, is being thankful. You can't be grateful and thankful and have gratitude. Gratitude has to do with a grateful attitude. You can't have gratitude and be totally depressed at the same time. It's impossible. You can't be showing appreciation to the Lord and grateful and have gratitude and be totally depressed. Because... Two things cannot occupy the same space in exactly the same way at exactly the same time. That's not only physically true, but it's also spiritually true. Now, notice I didn't say you can't be happy and sad at the same time. Some people say that. I qualified it with the word totally. Because in philosophy, they say you can't be happy and sad at the same time. That's philosophically untrue, okay? Although I like the sentiment because they're onto a truth to a degree. And I thought that through because the Bible says weeping yet rejoicing. Amen. So you can weep and be sad over a thing on some level because our hearts are deep. You know, the Bible says that, by the way. So you can weep over something on some level, but you can still be rejoiced on another level. Amen. I could weep that a child of mine is facing death. And that child doesn't, isn't going to be healed, apparently, if that was happening in my life. And I could weep over that and have tremendous agony and tears. But I could also rejoice in the resurrection and the hope of Christ that I'll see my child again at the same time. Amen? You could be sad that someone's leaving, they're moving to another state, but happy because of the, the opportunities they have there and what they're going to be doing on the mission field. Or some brother goes on a mission trip and you're sad or a sister or a family member, you're going to be sad, but you're happy for it because you know they're going to win people to Jesus. Amen? But... To be totally in a funk and have no light at the end of the tunnel and just totally depressed and having gratitude and being grateful at the same time is incongruent. Because you can be in a terrible, terrible funk, but if you're still grateful for the Lord and who he is and what he's done and what he's continuing to do and what he's going to do and you look at spiritual reality, that's going to always lift you up beyond the doldrums of where the world is in that eternal funk of just separation from God and ultimate depression. So, gratitude, and the more you have of it, and the more thankful you are, and the more you appreciate what the Lord's done in your life, is huge. And it's a game changer. And that's why Christians so often, the, the liberals, oftentimes, and it's sad, but it looks, liberals often look like they've been sucking on a, a sour lemon, you know? The ones on top of the liberals that are pro-killing babies and stuff, and pro-erasing the meaning of marriage between a male and a female, and just have just a hatred for godly values, 
They're just cantankerous often. Not all of them, but so many of them, you know. And, and Christians sometimes could look like that. Christians ought never look like they just ate lemon or all the time look like they ate a lemon or chewing on a lemon, you know. Because we should be feeding on Jesus, amen, and seeking him. And we should love those who are liberal. I mean, I was one of them, you know, before I became a Christian. Jesus died for everybody, amen, conservative or liberal, whatever you consider your political alignment. I consider myself a Christian. And Jesus died for everybody. So we want to reach everybody with the gospel and let them know Jesus loves you, man. And you can know him. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. And you can have the joy of the Lord. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. And how do you become strong in the Lord and the power is might? You put on the whole armor of God, but also you have the joy of the Lord. The joy of being saved, man. The joy of knowing that you're right with God. The joy of knowing that you're not going to go into a Christless eternity. The joy of knowing that he's preparing a place for you. The joy of knowing that he has a purpose for your life, amen? And that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The joy of knowing that God is so good, he could have damned each and every one of us, but he went, became a man and went to the cross and died in our place and rose again. You know, I need to get to my notes because I have not even started my notes yet. Things on my heart. A lot of these things burn on my heart. But you know what? Someone once said, and I really believe this could be an encouraging message for you. I really believe a lot of you are going to walk out of here hopefully stronger in your faith, more resolute about what it means to be thankful, and more determined and intentional about being thankful, and thereby you and your loved ones will be blessed. Someone once wrote, if you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than the million who won't survive the week. A million people won't survive the week. I said if you walk out after the message, girls. I'm just kidding. They're taking a potty break. You know, girls going to, or whatever. <laughs> if you never experienced the danger of battle, if you never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you are ahead of 20 million people around the world. If you attend a church meeting without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than almost 3 billion people in the world. That's almost half the planet. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and spare change in a dish someplace, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. I've already told you guys, if you live in Southern California right now, you're, you're stinking rich compared to so many people. Yet, you know what? We're like the dog that sees the other dog's bone and wants their bone. And we envy the other dog instead of being thankful for the bone that you've got. See that? I've got a couple dogs. And it's just kind of funny how that works. I'm like, that's such a lesson in how not to be. Envy's a killer. A lot of people are dying because of envy, literally. But it's easy to look at that list, right? And I see a lot of people, you know, and I, I've read that, things like that before that caught my eye. I thought, there's a lot of truth to what he's saying there, but what if you're one of the people that don't have these things, right? Because the, the, this person who writes this article or this statement, it makes some really good points, but I'm like, but what about the three million or the, uh, those that aren't part of the 8% or whatever it is, not that everybody here is in that 8%, you know? What about those folks? Well, my point is, is this list is almost just irrelevant when it comes to having joy in the Lord. Anybody, no matter what circumstances you face, could have the joy of the Lord if they have thanksgiving. Because what about people who are facing torture or death because of the cross of Christ, right? What about people who are suffering from ailments that could end their lives? 
You know, I was in the hospital with COVID earlier, you know, not too long ago and told I wouldn't survive by a top cardiologist. You won't survive if you get COVID. I got COVID a few days later and I didn't know if I was going to survive. I was crying out to the Lord. You know what? And it was a hard time. I'd be a liar if I said, oh, it was just cheery the whole time. I was just, oh, this is great. No, I was like, whoa, man, I kicked my rear end. But guess what? I was able to rejoice, man. I would all say, Lord, you are awesome. You are good no matter what happens. And have a good attitude through it. And praise God, he pulled me through. But you know what? If he didn't pull me through, I was ready, you know? I, I, I was seeing him through, the, through my trial. And there were things to rejoice in. I could still rejoice in my brothers and sisters in the Lord, my family in the Lord, my God ultimately, and him being an awesome God, amen? And after four days being there, just before Christmas, not long ago, a year ago, uh, just under a year ago, he pulled me through. And, uh, and I believe he spoke to my heart and said the opposite of what he said. As soon as I got it, I was crying out to the Lord in, in prayer. And, uh, and then I was dozing off. And, you know, when you're not thinking anymore, I always try to think to the moment I, I don't try to. My wife, she's the opposite. She'll like, I just try not to think of anything eventually. Then I'll fall asleep. I'm like, I want to keep praying. And then, like, you know, you're not praying anymore because you're just like in la-la land. Then you go out. Well, I was in la-la land, ready to go out and not thinking you will survive. Boom. And I forgot. I know he said I would die. I forgot. He said, I didn't remember. He said, you won't survive. She goes, you remember his exact words? You won't survive. I go, oh, because I told her, I, I felt like the Lord told me you will survive. It wasn't positive. It was from the Lord. It could have just, is that, did I eat too much pizza that night? I didn't eat pizza. I was sick. But you know what I mean? <laughs> but the Lord got me through. But I was able to focus on him through that time. And I'm glad I go through times like that. You know? Because you exercise your spiritual muscles just like physical muscles when you go through times like that. The Bible says, comfort others with the comfort you receive. So I'm glad. I'm glad I've been through some experiences like that. Because a lot of people go through things and I want to be able to relate to them. I don't give me too much, Lord, but as you see, we're fed, you know. Like my wife's got to come along with me and everybody else. But uh, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in some of your circumstances. Is that what it says? Give thanks in most of your circumstances. Is that what it says? No, give thanks in what? All circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't thank the Lord for, like Satan, but I thank the Lord in the midst of being attacked by him, or we ought to, amen? As hard as that can be. Lord, give us grace to be able to do that. And that's why I want to look at some of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. And I try to switch up my messages and not preach the same Thanksgiving message. A lot of preachers will preach the same Christmas message and the same Thanksgiving message every year. I try to change it up every year because I really want to expand our knowledge of what God's Word says and also keep it fresh. But Daniel chapter 6, and since uh, Chad and I were both in the book of Daniel and Jeremiah and referencing them, I should say, in our conference we just had, uh, Daniel's been on my mind a bit. And this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible on Thanksgiving. And it's in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. And it's because of the circumstances that Daniel is in. It's easy to be thankful when you're going down a roller coaster and you know you're going to make the curve or whatever, and you're having a fun time. You know, but it's very hard for people to be thankful when they're in hard times. And right now, there's hard times for a lot of Americans. Oh, I just read that list, and Americans are doing so well financially, typically compared to the rest of the world. If you look at it, financial well-being... Physical well-being, we have some of the greatest, greatest medical uh, supplies and, and doctors and nurses in the, in, on earth. Uh, you know, we don't have poison water, right? We don't have guerrilla warfare. 
So on one hand, we should be so thankful, but at the same time, it's getting darker here rapidly, right? We're seeing with the government and Big Brother trying to push its, you know, certain people in uh, government trying to get more and more control over the citizenry and trying to uh, basically blackwall certain people from certain things. Uh, and we're seeing that right before our very eyes. And we're seeing a lot of the leaders in government and in medicine lying through their teeth. I'm sorry, from the president on down. And I just did a, we did a podcast some time ago, and I'm going to actually do a message. I've been trying to find the right time to do it, but my life's been just like a whirlwind uh, lately. But uh, I'm going to go through some of that material where, look, no wonder people don't trust the government, man. You've had so many lies after lies after lies, right? And it's like my son said to me recently, Josiah said, Dad, you know what? The people that run the world, the po politicians, he goes, they're usually people that want to control other people. And people that want to control other people probably shouldn't be in positions where they're controlling other people. I thought, that's really well put, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's so true. So as I mentioned, it's hard to be, have gratitude and have a bad attitude. Uh, it's hard to be grateful. And wow, Josiah, you walked in right on cue, buddy. Did you do that on purpose? I'm only coming in if he says something good about me. Okay, anyway, uh, the word, the, the dictionary is dictionary.com, defining grateful. The grateful definition, warmly or deeply appreciative of kindness or benefits received. Thankful, I'm grateful for your help. <laughs> I can't be warmly appreciative of the Lord and what he's done and in a total funk all the time. Amen? I could be in a little, uh, I mean, Job went through a depressed state. I'm not saying you're not going to be depressed at times, amen? But you need the glimpses of glory because Job was also saying, I know that my, my, my Redeemer lives, amen? He's also saying things, I know when he's done with me, I'm going to come forth like gold, amen? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He stay focused on the Lord. Then he loses focus. Then he'd get in what looked like a total funk. But then he'd get out of that total funk when he began to be thankful again and appreciative again. He started off good, man. The enemy just sideswiped him, man, and he fell on his face. He started off good. The Lord, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be, he lost his kids even. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He tried to stay focused on the goodness of the Lord. That's a huge key when you face tragedy. Amen. Then he got nailed again. Bam. Sores from head to toe. Lost his reputation. People are blaming him. His wife saying, curse God and die. It was horrific. And then he was in and out of his funk. There's times where he wanted to die. Okay. The Bible's real, man. It's not like, I mean, you read it, you get the warts. Because guess what? We deal with warts, all of us, amen? And we need, to, we need the healer, amen? We need the great physician. And it's when he looked to the great physician that he had joy, okay? So we will go through real experiences. And Job was the, the most righteous man on the earth at the time. And he went through funk. So you could be a righteous person and still go through funks and get depressed, things like that. But guess what? Look to Jesus and he'll get you out of it, amen? Seek him. There's light at the end of the tunnel, you know, we need to be, be able to rejoice when things are tough, right, guys? When things are hard. Can you be thankful in hard times? Can you be thankful when you're going through, when you go to a restaurant and all of a sudden, without even asking you, they give you a senior's discount and you're only 37 years old? Can you still be thankful? That reminds me of what, what happened to Tony and Lisa and I. Lisa and I are going, we're getting two hotel rooms because we're going to do a presentation or speaking at some event at... I've been asked, to, I speak at different events, and I go, we're, we're going there, and then they, they tell Lisa and I, and, and Tony's there kind of in the background, because Lisa's doing it, and she go, they go, is this your son? I'm like, Tony's only two years younger than us, guys. Can you still be thankful? Amen. <laughs> Can you still be thankful? You know? And I think, he looks really young, or we look really old, or, or I look really old, not my wife, of course, she's always beautiful, but, or both. 
you know? Uh, Tony looks, I, I, do you ever get ID, Tony? <laughs> okay, uh, can you give thanks to the Lord when the pest exterminator crawls in your house, but then he never comes out, you know? Can, can you give thanks to the Lord when your plants do better when you're not talking to them, okay? Can you give thanks to the Lord when the birds that are singing outside your window are vultures? Can you give thanks to the Lord when your pacemaker comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee? Can you give thanks to the Lord when your horn sticks on the freeway when you're behind 32 hell's angels, you know? We need to give thanks to the Lord because he's the Lord, because he's good to us no matter what circumstances that are prevailing in our lives. Now, look at Daniel chapter Daniel chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to see that Daniel is able to do just this, but it wasn't just an accident. It's about a, Daniel chapter 6. Verses 1 through 3. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom. These were to be officials that would be like governors. That they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. I'm not going to give a bunch of background here of with Babylon and what's going on there. It, just a minute's worth, if, if that, because I, don't want to, I want to get into a lot of important things that you could apply to your life. I don't want this to be uh, it's very theological and a lot of application, but I don't want to get too much history. We'll be going through Daniel, Lord willing, on Wednesday nights in not too distant future, Lord willing, hopefully, Lord. Uh, so we'll get a lot deeper into the history. But let me just say uh, this at this point is that Darius was... Uh, a Mede. It's called Darius the Mede in the book of Daniel. And keep in mind that God had pronounced judgment on his people through Jeremiah the prophet that they would spend how many years in Babylon? Remember? 70 years in Babylon, okay? And they would be uh, punished because of the rebellion of God, breaking his law, uh, false prophecies, and worshiping false gods, and all those things disciplined. Because he said that in, far back as the book of Deuteronomy, that I'll put a yoke, of, a yoke on you, man, of iron. If you do not happily, right, serve me and, and obey. In other words, God's given us commands. It's like, you can eat of every tree, Adam and Eve. Just don't eat of that one tree. Like, just happen to be talking to the serpent about that one tree, Eve. Okay? You know what? We need to obey the Lord, right? Well, you know, I have a hard time being faithful. I have a hard time just, you know, you know, sticking to, to, to one God. I like other gods. You know, and I heard recently uh, a guy say, well, would you say that to your wife? That'd be ridiculous, right? You'd be faithful to your wife, or hopefully you are, right? Amen? Well, how much more should we be faithful to God who made us and gave himself for us? So Darius, I mean, they went into captivity and Daniel was brought there. There were three deportations, and I'm getting the history I didn't want to get into, but I'll just say really quickly, there were three deportations. Daniel was a young guy, a teenager, uh, very young, or maybe some believe as young as 10, being the first part of the first deportation in 605 B.C., okay? There was another one in, in 597, and there was another deportation in 586, and in 586 is when the temple was destroyed under Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar's first, Nebuchadnezzar's first deportation, Daniel was there. And he already showed himself righteous by not eating all the king's delicacies, right? 
and fasting and only eating vegetables because he didn't want to be polluted. Many believe they were, it was associated with idolatry, those particular delicacies or what have you. We don't, it doesn't really spell it out. But Daniel got a reputation early on as being a righteous man. And he, guess what? He endured Nebuchadnezzar's reign, right? Then a king after, that was a descendant of King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, he endured his reign, right? Then the Medes and the Persians came in. Remember the head of gold, if you remember the statue, represented uh, the kingdom of Babylon and the arms uh, and the chest of silver represented the two arms, Medo-Persian Empire, two different groups that had joined together, the Persians that overcome the Medes. And Darius the Mede, now we have Darius. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, now you have Darius the Mede, okay? And there's debate as to who he is. We don't have a lot of records. There's a lot of records in our historical gaps, historical gaps regarding uh, different people. In fact, people try to deny that Pontius Pilate existed or King David existed, right? Or the Hittites existed and on and on and on. Now we've got a Hittite museum, you know, of all the things they've dug up, you know. And uh, now we've got evidence of you know, David and so forth. Uh, anyway, King Darius was probably put there or allowed to be in charge because of Cyrus, the, the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus was the king of Persia, and uh, he would eventually, you know, he was a regent probably of, 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 uh, of Cyrus's. Now, it's important to understand this at this point that he's endured three of these things. So he's a lot older now, understand. Daniel's a lot older now. A lot of people believe he's probably, he's been in captivity for maybe, you know, over 60 years, easy that Daniel could be 80 years old at this point. Verse 1, it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom. It's after the Medes and the Persians took the kingdom from Babylon. That they would be in charge of the whole kingdom and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was what? One. Daniel had an incredible reputation as a uh, foreigner who had served under Nebuchadnezzar and, of course, Belshazzar, right? And now he's under Darius. And he had a reputation that preceded him that he was a foreigner that was good for the kingdom. He was upstanding. He was righteous, which righteous people are hard to come by in those days just as they are today. Of whom Daniel was one. So there were three main guys over the 120, and Daniel was one of them. And these satraps might be accountable to, to them. Wow. And that the king might not suffer loss. Then Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed at what? An extraordinary spirit. Some of your translations have what? An excellent spirit, an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. The king was going to make him like his co-regent, his, his prime minister under just the king because he did so awesome. Kind of like Joseph, remember in Egypt, anything he put his hands to, you know, God was with him. And Daniel was quite a man. And I, I have a lot of his achievements written down that I was going to take you through. But I believe me, this 26 pages is way shorter than it was. I took out his achievements, man. I go, if I go through, that's such an awesome list to show how righteous Daniel was. I want to talk about him. But that's for deeper messages because we're going to get through the whole chapter. First half, 1 through 14, this Sunday, the day before Thanksgiving, another Thanksgiving message, part two of this one, when Daniel's in the lion's den. Okay, you don't want to miss that. Hey, what a great place to be, Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, amen? Looking at Daniel and the lion's den. The name of this message is uh, how to give Thanksgiving or how to have Thanksgiving in the lion's den when things aren't good. Because I can say we should be cheery, we should be thankful. Uh, we have, the Lord's blessed you beyond so many people. And to me, that sends kind of a mixed message. 
What if I'm not one of those has material gain? What, you know? And so, yeah, we should be thankful for those things. Amen. That you've been blessed in certain ways. But we need to be able to be thankful when things get really dark. Amen. Because things are getting really dark right now. And they will get darker and darker in the world. But the Bible says the world will get darker and darker in the book of Proverbs. But it will get brighter and brighter for the righteous. And that's because as it gets darker, it heralds the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. That's why our focus needs to be on the blessed hope. Amen. It needs to be a focus on the Lord. Now, I've said to you right now, it's huge. A huge key to you having strength, to having victory over temptation, to you not falling back in the world, to you having a, a, the last chapters of your life be good chapters, no matter what the past chapters were, where you are successful and you end up dying in the faith as a mighty man or a mighty woman of God, one of the key, one of the key factors is being a person of thanksgiving, man. Is giving thanksgiving, is having thanksgiving in regard to the Lord. You know how I know that? Because I look at Daniel, and as we're going to see, he was thankful for years and years and years, and he constantly expressed it to God. In the midst of an incredibly pagan world, he's in Babylon. You've heard of Babylon the Great? Okay, like spiritual Babylon that we're in right now. And all the temptation, he was able to have victory. And if you're not thankful, you will fall into the paganism. You will fall into allowing the uh, sin dominating, fleshly sins dominate your life. Life dominating sins just destroy you if you're not thankful. How do I know that? Because in Romans chapter 1, it talks about the atheists, for instance. It said they did, they did not give thanks to God. Even though the evidence of God is all around, Paul says, everything, his divine attributes, his eternal power, it's all known by the things that he's made. It's obvious, Paul says. But they didn't give thanks in their hearts to God. They weren't thankful. And it says, therefore, God gave them over to depraved minds. They began to commit all kinds of different sexual perversions. Men with men, it says, women with women. And that's, he's talking, he's writing to the Romans who were in the Roman Empire when Nero is having a little boy that he castrates and marries him. Okay. The world became incredibly wicked. And we're living in times right now where there's been a huge Christian influence on this nation as many have been salt and light. And the morals of this nation were impacted radically by the church. Uh, at the same time, though, now everything's changing before our very eyes. Okay? The culture is changing. The California Teachers Association, okay? That's the largest teaching union in the United States, or in, uh, sorry, in California. Huge. Just at the end of last month, I think it was the 29th through 31st of October, I was just reading a story the other day, is that they had a big old conference. It was packed. In the conference, they told the teachers that it's important to spy. They didn't use the word spy, but surveil, you know. Uh, the students, listen to what they're talking about in the halls. You can even go on their website and see if any of them mentions homosexuality. And they find one kid who, you know, example, who's looking up, uh, you know, gay pride day or whatever it was, and then invite them to the LGBT things. Oh, and don't take role at the LGBT, you know, meetings because we don't want the parents to see their kids are there. That just happened, okay? So when we think we live in a pagan society, we did, I did a whole a message and we did a, a podcast on it as well uh, of Satan's, you know, sexually perverse agenda, right? Where we have a bunch of the gay choir, all these different men singing about how, yes, we're going after your children. They even call it an agenda. They say it's our agenda. They say in your face. And it, but this is the teachers union, right? 
a conference. And we live in a pagan society. You know, Steve did a really good message on the men's retreat. The first few verses of the book of Daniel, which seems to be some of the theme lately, where he talked about uh, how it was this brainwashing of the kids, how their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego after Babylonian gods when they first went to Babylon. And there was all these different things that were implemented. It's in the first few verses of ch Daniel chapter 1. You see, they implemented this brainwashing system where they're trying to make them little Babylonians. That's what Satan's trying to do with your kids. The Bible says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And one way Satan is able to deceive people is to make them discontent, to sow discouragement, to make them unthankful. Oh, you don't like your body, young lady? Well, maybe you're a guy anyway. Maybe deep down you're a man. I mean, that's how it starts. They be, Satan wants to discourage them and makes them dissatisfied with who they are. Then he puts a carrot in front of them. Maybe this is who you're supposed to be. And then they find out, they try to be something they were never created to be, and oftentimes they become suicidal. I mean, the suicide rate among uh, those who, the transgender community, is among the highest in the world, if not the highest. Very high. It's heartbreaking. Our hearts should break for them. We should break for people who are confused. You know, God has made us, the Bible says, male and female. And in his image made he us, the scriptures say. So it's important that you understand being unthankful leads to, leads to sin. Okay? Being unthankful is a sin, by the way. It's just one sin. Envying other people is a sin. Okay? When you, you're either thankful for what the Lord is doing and who he is, or you're unthankful. And then when you're unthankful, you become envious of others. You become jealous of others. You want what they have. And that's not wise. So it's interesting. When we look at these scriptures, I want you now to look at verse 4. Then the commissioners and satraps, who were appointed right, began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. What are they trying to do? These are the guys that are under Daniel. He's given power. Now they say, now they're like, man, they're envious of his position. This foreigner, man, how come he's put there? And they're trying to find, look what it says, an accusation against him. But they could, but they could find no ground of accusation. You look at it, verse 4, the middle of it, they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. As much as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. I love that, man. Daniel was a righteous man, okay, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He had an excellent spirit in him, you know, extraordinary spirit. And can that be said of you? Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? If they arrested you and they, you had a trial and they had 12 jurors, would they be able to convict you of being a real Christian? Or would you get off? Because they, oh, and you're like, oh, I got off. Yeah, because you're a hypocrite. They don't find any real evidence. Oh, he's a phony. Okay. No, hopefully you'd be convicted and put in jail if, if you're accused of being a Christian. Amen? Now, this is important because the Bible says, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Shall suffer persecution. He was righteous and he stood out, man in a wicked, perverse world. But these guys hatched this plan on the basis of what, what motivated their wicked actions. Envy. Envy. They didn't like the fact that he had such a high position, this foreigner. And they didn't like the fact that he worshiped Yahweh, the one true God. And they had envy. And you got to make sure that's a sin of the flesh. Envy is a sin of the flesh. When you get jealous and envy are like cousins, right? You know, jealousy 
leads to envy, you know. Envy is mixed with jealousy. Envy, wanting what somebody else has, jealous that they have it and that you don't. The Bible says in Romans 12, 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep, amen. Envy flips that scripture on its head. Envy rejoices with, over people who weep and weeps over those who are rejoicing. That's evil, by the way. That's the flesh. That, by the way, that's in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21 of those who will not inherit God's kingdom. And guess what? Everybody probably struggles with that to one degree or another because we're all sons and daughters of Adam, part of our flesh, to where you may not even notice it to a degree, but sometimes you might have a struggle with envy. Maybe some of you say, no, I've never struggled with envy. Maybe not. But sometimes it's a very subtle sin. It's not one people will admit to, though, typically. I've had people come to me as a pastor through the years, for years and years and years, confessing different things they fell into, pray together. I've never had someone say, Joe, pray with me. I'm bound up by the sin of envy. Because it's an embarrassing sin because it's, it's so rankly, obviously evil. I'll hear people and they'll talk about their testimony and I, you know, I used to get drunk and I used to chase women, you know, I used to brawl. And it's almost, you know, got to be careful we don't brag about that, but you're like, that was bad, I was dumb. Right? But I never said, and I was just so envious of everybody. I'm so jealous. No, you don't hear that. Because it's such a, a, a shameful sin, we recognize that because by being envious, we're saying that God doesn't care for us as much as he cares for others. That God doesn't know what he's doing. Or God's partial. Or it's God's fault. Or whatever. And we're also not caring for others and loving them. The Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 13, that love does not what? Love does not envy. Somebody gets a gift or blessed, and you're like, how come I didn't get that gift? You know? How come I didn't get blessed like that? How come I didn't get that treatment? How? No, don't get stuck there, man. You and I, you know what we deserve? We deserve to be in hell, man. We should be thankful that we have been given the gift of life in the first place. And then when we blew it and had sins like envy or whatever else, that God had mercy on us. He forgave us. Amen. And that God became a man and was slaughtered on the cross to save us. Amen. We should be thankful. We should be incredibly thankful. It's very, very important that we understand this. So we need to rejoice with those who rejoice. Someone's blessed. Praise the Lord. They're blessed. Another believer, your brother, sister's blessed, praise God. You know what? If you, when, you, when you praise God for those who are blessed, you're really being thankful for not what God's done for them, but what he's done for you. Because we're all one body, amen? We're all the same team. We're brothers and sisters. We should be happy for our family, amen? Start seeing yourselves as you are in Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And it's easier for people to weep with those who weep and hurt for them than it is for people to rejoice with those who rejoice. Envy is incredibly destructive. For what, this is what the scriptures say. For wherever there is jealousy in the book of James, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, chapter 3 of James, there you will find disorder and every, or evil of every kind. You, you catch that? Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Wow. Wow. I read about two store owners, you know, that were right across from each other. And then they first opened their stores. They're like, hey, friendly and everything else. And then they started seeing customers go back and forth, losing customers to each other. Then they became bitter rivals. They'd give stink eye to each other, you know. And then they'd see and they'd try to win each other's customers, meet them. Hey, why don't you come over here? I got something free for a little gift for your kid or whatever. And then all of a sudden, man, they started, when they'd win somebody else's customer, they'd smile at the other one disdainly like look what I got 
And it got really ugly, man. Full of envy, both these guys. No joy, no thankfulness, just stinky, ugly envy. And an angel appeared to one of them and said, you know, I'm here to give you choices because God wants to teach you a lesson that you can have anything you want, anything you want you get. But just to let you know, your, your neighbor, the guy across the street, that store, he gets double whatever you ask for. The guy was in a huge predicament. He thought about it for a few minutes. He goes, okay, I know what I want. What do you want? He goes, make me blind in one eye and deaf in one ear. Pretty wicked, huh? That's how people, and you say, well, that's no one, well, people do that all the time. They don't really see it that clearly, but they shoot themselves. Envy is a sin where you shoot yourself when you're trying to shoot someone else. It's a poison that you drink, just like jealousy, when you're trying to give it to someone else. You actually consume it and kill yourself with it. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, And I saw that all the labor and all the achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That means that's what a lot of the world is about. Proverbs 3.31 says, Do not envy a violent man. Choose any, of, or choose any of his ways, for the Lord detests a perverse man. Proverbs chapter 23, 17-18 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future and a hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. I mean, God's got you. He's got to take care of you. Don't get your eyes on other people. Envy makes people crabby instead of thankful. People just are crab. Some people just crabby through the day and all their lives because they always are, think they're shortchanged and want something that the neighbor has or you want this, this house or that car or this job or these looks or whatever else. And it's sad. In fact, it makes you really crabby. In fact, there was a, a, a fisherman, that, a crab fisherman, and was really good at catching crabs and he was walking along with his, his bucket almost full of crabs and, and somebody noticed that, that one was trying to get out. He goes, hey, hey, hey. You're, you're going to lose your crabs, man. You should, put a, you should put a lid on that. The man was an experienced crab hunter. He goes, I don't need a lid. Because every time one of those crabs tries to climb out, another crab reaches up and grabs it and pulls it down. And that's how people are. When they see somebody have light at the end of the tunnel, sometimes they'd rather see someone hurt because they themselves want people to feel like maybe they feel or whatever they're going through. That's not right, guys. That's uh, envy, man. It goes all the way back to some, if you look at studies on envy, they'll trace all the way back to Genesis. But I'm like, no, it goes before Genesis. It starts with Satan in heaven, man. He envied God's position, amen. Wasn't enough to be the worship leader, man. He wanted to be God, okay? Uh, it's pretty sad when you think about it. Uh, of course, Eve, she also fell in that same deception. She wanted to be as God. Uh, Cain envied Abel, right, and his relationship with God. But he refused to do what was right. And God said, your counts be lifted up, you do what's right. But he just envied him and he ends up killing his own brother. Later, Leah was envious of Rachel's beauty and the favor she received. Joseph's brothers were envious of him and sold him into slavery. Miriam's envy caused her to speak out against Moses. And she was judged by God with leprosy, by the way. Uh, king Saul envied King David before David was even king and even chucked a spear at him trying to kill him. And... Uh, in the book of Esther, remember Haman? He envied Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, and he even had gallows made. But who ended up hanging on those gallows? Haman did. Amen? What a picture of what envy does. 
you really destroy yourself when you focus on others and you get, have disdain for them and try to hurt them. Uh, the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 27 that when Jesus was crucified, the main reason they tried to kill him was, well, it says in verse 17 and following, so when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which, of, uh, which do you want me to release to you, Barnabas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Or is called Christ? For he, that's Pilate, knew that he was out it was, knew that it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. The greatest crime ever committed from a human perspective was created, what took place as a result of envy. From God's perspective, he's going to send his son. He knows what envious people are going to do, but he says, hey, I'm going to become a man and die for the sins of the world. Amen? So envy is a very, very serious sin. Uh, and we need to make sure, I mean, there's, from Genesis to Revelation, you see it. The book of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy affects your bones. Bones are important. They don't just hold you up skeletally where your flesh and your organs are protected. And they actually, the bone marrow inside the bones produces blood. Amen? And envy rots the bones. Proverbs 13, 14 says, The law to the wise is a fountain of life to turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A joyful heart, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Dries up the bones. Isn't that interesting? Okay, 1430 uh, rots the bones. Uh, that's interesting because people have recognized that envious people, it distorts them physically to a degree. Okay, it's been called, uh, Shakespeare called it green sickness in Anthony and Cleopatra. Okay, envy is also called the green-eyed monster. Uh, it's all, and it's interesting. It's just, you know, you've heard the expression, so-and-so is green with envy. Green is not beautiful for a human skin color. I mean, if they find a new, a new people group that's green, I'm, I'm going to say, it's, of course it's beautiful, you know, because God made them that way if that's what he made. But if you become green because you're sickly, right? Uh, anemia, it's a blood disorder, right? Often that can lead to greenness of skin, Okay. And I'm not saying that if you have anemia, that's because you're envious, because you can, get, you can get, become anemic for, for all kinds of different reasons, amen? You know, even a result of medication. So if you go home and you're like, you're green, you've been envying. Pastor Joe talked about you today, <laughs> you know? You're missing the point, okay? That's just what can't, you can't become, you know, the green is used because humans recognize uh, this. And medical studies affirm now that envy and jealousy and anger, these kinds of things lead to physical maladies. Thankfulness they're finding. Thankfulness they're finding. They're doing studies in the last 20 years or so. It's a new, new realm of study, by the way. And they're, and they're finding that people that are thankful are healthier, on average, by far. Have healthier hearts. It's a trip. Think about it. It's really kind of a trip when you think about it. It's like, wow, they're finding that out. Well, they're finally catching up to the Bible again. Okay, amen? Don't you love it, Jim? Okay, so Leviticus 17 11 says that the life is in the blood. So uh, uh, an article from USA Today, this article USA Today, uh, performance enhancing, and listen to the title of the, uh, of the article, performance enhancing substance, how Thanksgiving gratitude may improve your health. Okay, this is not a Christian magazine, guys. Okay, show your gratitude this Thanksgiving. It's good for your health. Expressing gratitude improves cardiovascular strength, sleep quality, and more, researchers say. 
I'm reading from the article. Gratitude enhances performance in every domain that's been examined. Psychological, relational, emotional, physical, said Robert Emmons, a professor and psychologist at the University of California, Davis. Now, I'm not for, you know, the theories of psychology, you know, pretend you're a baby and rebirth and all that stuff. But when we're talking about, you know, how people do in writing under, for instance, strobe lights, when we're talking about science, I'm all for that. Okay, so this is why it's been referred to, the article goes on to say as, or, or quoting Davis, as the ultimate performance enhancing substance. Now you think they'd be talking, this, people are way into health these days, right? And they're way into performance enhancing substances, if, especially if they're healthy, and especially if they're free. How come this is not being shouted from the rooftops? It's biblical. I mean, you could just be thankful and turn your whole health around, and oftentimes. Because a lot of times people get in dire straits physically because they're ungrateful, unthankful, and therefore they're often unhealthy. There's a lot of reasons we can become unhealthy separate from this. So you see someone sick, don't say, oh, you must be sinning. That's the word faith movement, amen? Job was sick. He didn't do anything wrong. He was sick more than anybody at his time. He didn't do anything wrong. So it's not a one-size-fits-all, amen? But the Bible does say that uh, sin can affect your health. This article says it can change your biology, being thankful, can change your biology and your behavior. Wow. Researchers at UC San Diego came to a similar conclusion the following year. A study in 2016 of nearly 70 men and women at risk of heart failure asked participants to keep a gratitude journal for eight weeks. Researchers found that the participants who kept gratitude journals, journals where they're being thankful, right, had lower levels of inflammation, a biomarker of heart failure. Along the lines of physical exercise, a healthier diet, and high-quality sleep, gratitude is worth the times, Simon Thomas said. Okay, now, listen to Robert Emmons, the professor at the University of California, Davis, says, the holiday season can be very stressful. People are exhausted, worn down, and worn out, feeling depleted and defeated. That is why gratitude is especially important this time of year. Grateful people are less likely to experience envy. Is he reading the Bible? Okay. He says, grateful people are less likely to experience envy, anger, resentment, regret, and other unpleasant states that produce stress and thwart positive emotions. Uh, Emiliana Simon Thomas, a science director at UC Berkeley, stated, quote, sometimes you'll, you'll find that a study reports that a particular gratitude intervention leads to lower blood pressure. That's the biology pathway. And basically a, a gratitude, uh, you she's talking about a, a gratitude intervention. That's where you encourage people, hey, start being thankful. Start writing down what you're thankful for and so forth. And I'm not saying, hey, just be thankful. Write down what you're thankful for. No, I'm saying go farther than that, man. You do way better than these studies. You can say, give thanks to the Lord who made you, amen. Give thanks to Jesus. Pray in the Holy Spirit, amen, by the power of the Lord. Look at his promises and be thankful for his promises, amen. I'm not, we're not talking about being, and these are people that are being studied that are untethered from, oftentimes, not all the times, but untethered from the truth. And they're still having results. Can you imagine you as Christians, amen, giving thanks according to the word of God and just obeying what he says and being thankful in all things? Now, a uh, common approach, it says in this thing, is several studies have concluded that keeping a gratitude journal improves physical health. In 2015, a study of 119 women at the University College of London found that just two weeks, just two weeks of keeping a gratitude journal can improve sleep quality and decrease blood pressure. Blood pressure is one of the major killers in the world today. Just two weeks they saw differences in a lot of these women. The Bible says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Colossians 2, 6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted up and built in the, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding, abounding, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says that we're supposed to sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 1 Chronicles 16.34, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Wow. You know, oh, on and on and on. There's so many scriptures. Now, therefore, Chronicles 29.13, 1 Chronicles, Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Psalm 107, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for the steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Wow. We can know if we're being ungrateful and envious and so forth if we do a little test are you happy this is to see if we're envious or not are you happy when someone else fails do you criticize those who are successful are we way better at criticism than giving praise do we compliment someone but then also add a put down oh she's got beautiful hair but man do you see her nails she chews them down on the nubs you know Right, you know. We can excuse, make excuses for other success where we failed. We can stew and get down when we see others happy. That's all that's messed up. It's wrong. It's not right. It's unbiblical. Now, another thing you gotta be careful of to overcome envy is we read in Second Corinthians ten twelve, we do, do we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. We're not to compare ourselves with each other. If you're constantly comparing yourselves with each other, you got a problem. I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, that's not a good thing. In fact, it says it's not wise. I had a couple translations. I'm only going to read that little part. It's not wise to compare yourself with each other. Why? Because one of two things could happen. If you're in the flesh and you're comparing yourself with others, if it's something that they're doing better or something that they have that you don't have, it can promote envy and envy. Oh, but if you have more than them, or you look better, you think, or whatever it is goes through worldly mind, that's worldly mindedness when you think like that, then it lends itself to pride, right? Oh, look at me. No, you know who we need to compare ourselves with constantly? Is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then guess what? That'll humble us, amen? And we'll say, wow, this is who I am. And being real, just being real, facing reality, wow, you're God, I am not, and I deserve judgment. Wow. But wouldn't that make you depressed? No, then you realize what he did for you and how much he loves you and how he gave himself for you and he loves you so much he's preparing a place for you. Then that makes you thankful, amen? And when you're thankful, that brings joy, amen? Amen, so you have joy, you have thankfulness and happiness and so forth. Verse five, then these men said, we will not find any ground, uh, these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. They couldn't find any skeletons in his closet. They couldn't find any scandals. Daniel was a righteous guy. Verse 6, Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. Darius loves Daniel. King Darius, live forever. That's the old live forever trick for the king, you know. Oh, this guy he got his attention, okay? What's, what's he going to say to me? And they're going to try to pump him up and flatter him and everything. And then we read verse 7. All the commissioners of the kingdom. That's a lie. Daniel's one of the commissioners. He wasn't in agreement with these guys. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute, a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god 
or a man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. This king was not super wise because this was an inferior kingdom to the golden kingdom, Babylon. This was the silver kingdom. And Babylonian kingdom, it was a pure tyrannical monarchy under Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever he said went. This is a constitutional republic here. Well, not republic really, but it's constitutional where the king signs the law and he can't even change it. They're hemming him in to come after Daniel because they're going to make a law whereby whoever doesn't pray to just him for 30 days gets killed. And he just signed Daniel's death warrant because Daniel is a man of God. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he knew it was signed. This is important. He's letting you know. Daniel knew this was the cost of his life possibly. He entered the house, his house now his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem because the habit of Jews for centuries and centuries is to pray toward Jerusalem in the anticipation of God keeping his promise to bring them back to the land, which happened, amen, eventually. And he continued kneeling on his knees. He continued kneeling on his knees. Get on your knees, folks. When's the last time you've been on your knees in prayer? Not saying you have to get on your knees all the time, but guess what? I see Jesus on his knees in Gethsemane. I see Elijah on his knees. I see Paul on his knees. I see Peter praying on his knees. I see Daniel here praying on his knees. And th there's times where you just got to get on your knees, man, and cry out to God and humble yourself before the Lord. Okay? I pray laying in bed when I wake up, crying out to the Lord and stuff, but there's something else happens when I get on my knees. After I get up, if I get on my knees, I'm just like, wow. It just always seems so much more powerful. I'm not saying that it is, because the Lord ultimately looks at the posture of the heart. Amen? But when our heart's humble before Him, I believe there's times we're going to definitely get on our knees, or we should. Now, as, uh, it says, he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. How many times a day? Three times a day. David talks about how I prayed three times. I prayed in the morning, I pray at noon, I pray at, pray at night. Now, that's not the only times they prayed, but there was three times he'd get on his knees right here. Amen? Praying, and, now look what he's praying in what? He's praying in what? Amen. Giving thanks before his God. He knows that he could be dying any moment. And he's giving thanks to God. How could he give thanks at such a dire, dark moment? Well, look at the next part of the verse. As he had been doing what? Previously. Daniel had been praying and seeking the Lord three times a day on his knees for who knows how many decades it was his habit. He's not going there to flaunt and say, hey, look what I'm going to do, even though I'm not supposed to. Now, Daniel could have easily compromised, right? He could have said, wow, 30 days? I think it's time for me to go on vacation for a month. A king relaxed me and I'll just kind of mosey over here. And, or I'll just shut my windows now, right? Or I'll just kind of stand like I'm looking toward that way and just pray where they don't realize I'm praying. That's what our flesh would do. Daniel's an awesome man of God, man. He's like, you know what? I'm not doing this to be seen of men. That's not my motive. Because it wasn't something he wanted to be seen doing in that Babylonian kingdom, by the way, because they despised Yahweh. They worshiped all these demon gods. But he says, I'm going to do what I continue to do. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, cultivate a life of thanksgiving. Cultivate a life of praise. Cultivate a position in your work, in your neighborhood, wherever you're at, where you are known to be a worshiper of Jesus. Do not compromise. Amen? Now, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were tempted to compromise by something they would do that was the Lord said not to do. And that would be worship the Nebuchadnezzar's image, right? They refused to do it. Now, he's being told just what not to do. Don't. Worship any God. And that's a sin of omission. He's like, no, I'm still going to pray 
to the Lord, I'm still going to be a person of thanksgiving. Amen? This is heavy because you'll be tested too. You'll be tested to give in and, and not name the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus in, our, in this Babylonian type of world is a cuss word. Instead of saying S-H-I-T or F-U-C-K or these words, they use the word Jesus often as a cuss word. It's one of the most popular cuss words in the world. That's not by accident. That right there just proves atheism. Just by that shows you that there is one God that they hate and they don't even know why they do it, but we know it's spiritual. Prince and power of the air, right? Now it's interesting. When someone comes up to you and says, man, I noticed that you're different than everybody else. You don't laugh at these really bad jokes and you don't mock the boss and you don't get all caught up in the gossip. And It's a trip about you. What's different about you? You can deny him by what you don't say. You can say, well, you know, I'm just really spiritual. Wiccans say they're spiritual. Even some Satanists will say, I'm spiritual. Don't cop out and say that, man. Oh, you know, I just, I just have clean living, you know. That's making it about you. It's not about you or me. It's about him. Amen. Amen. You need to say something like, you know what? I, I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, man, who gave himself for me. Amen. That's what we need to say right? You need to grab them by the collar and say, I'm a blood-bought, Bible-believing, born-again, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled Christian. No, don't do that, that exactly, but you know, but we need to be proud of Jesus, amen? He's our creator. He's our maker. He's a lover of our souls, amen? And we need to be thankful in these times where, where things are dark. And I, we always talk about, man, you get a blister on your foot, be thankful that you have a foot, to have a blister on. Yeah, you can say, ouch, it hurts, it hurts, but praise the Lord, I've got a foot. Praise the Lord, I have a hand. Sometimes people, there's people that look for the bad and everything, and we have to recognize the bad and deal with it, amen? We have to see disease and deal with it. We have to see false teaching and deal with it. We have to deal with all these things because we love God, amen? And we want Jesus to be truly represented the way he is, and Thanksgiving is part of that. But some will look at, the, try to find the negative in everything, you know? Oh, I feel sorry that that one guy was dying almost, you know. He's in and out of a coma for months. And his wife, so faithful, by his bedside, holding his hands, wouldn't go to bed, wouldn't go home during the night or day. Very rarely left the hospital. And finally he came out of his coma for a little while, you know. And he was so, he said, I got to tell you, you've been here this whole time. He goes, wow. He goes, you know, you were there in my car accident when I almost died. You were there when I, my business went under and never recovered. You know, you were there that day I was shot. You're here now. He goes, honey, come here. I want to tell you something. She's like, she leans forward. He goes, you know what I think? She goes, what do you think? She goes, he goes I think you're bad luck, you know? <laughs> and that's how some people are, you know? And let's not be like that. Let's see Jesus. Let's see the rainbow in the midst of the storm. Amen. Let's see the light at the end of the tunnel. I love Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Facing impoverished times. He writes, even though the fig trees, and remember they're an agrarian society. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines. Even though the olive crops fails even the, and the fields lie empty and barren. Even though flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. I love that. And that's like us saying, even though there's no food in the refrigerator now, even though the bill collectors are calling, even though the electricity has been shut down, I'm still going to praise my Jesus, amen? Because he's good, and he's an awesome God, and he has a plan for my life, amen? 
I want to say no more. I want to, man, I did not get through all of them. Got through that much, that much. But I praise God. You guys, we have so much to be thankful for, amen? Let's be thankful to the Lord. And let's recognize that we're going to face challenges. And we need to stay focused on Jesus. You guys have heard of Voice of the Martyrs magazine, right? That came out of a ministry of Richard Wormbrand. He was a Romanian Jew who became a Christian pastor. And he was persecuted in the 1940s and imprisoned for almost a decade and beaten. I saw him speak here in Simi Valley years ago at a church. And he had to sit down to teach because his feet were beaten so bad. And he would not deny Christ. But when they had a Congress of the Cults in, Ro in Romania, a communist movement swept and the communists were ruling and, and they were telling, you had to join as, you had to be Christian leaders, had to join the communist party and, and people started denying Christ and stuff and he was under threat of his very life. And when they heard somebody speaking and Christians caving in and he wasn't taking a stand himself yet, his wife said, you need to go wipe the spit off of Jesus' face. He's like, what? If I go do that and go speak, you know, he goes, if I do that, you'll have a dead husband. And she said, I'd rather have a dead husband than a coward as a husband, you know. And may that be all of our hearts, amen, to not be cowards, man. Recognize how good he is, how awesome he is, and be thankful. The more you focus on him, the more you're thankful for who he is and what he's done, the more likely you are to persevere when persecution comes, amen. The more likely you are to not be swept under a wave of depression when everybody else is in a funk because you're looking to Jesus and you're thankful because of who he is and how much he loves you and that he is a good God, amen. We better pass a cup of bread out because I'm going to just keep thinking thanks for hours, you know. Let's all please stand. We have an awesome God, amen. We'll pick this up Wednesday. Wednesday night. It gets heavier and even more powerful and more beautiful. Uh, so I hope you try to make it Wednesday. Hey, don't you think you ought to... Why do you go to the gas station? To fill up your what? Tank, right? Man, come to the midweek service, man. You fill up your tank that way. Okay? Especially you Christian leaders here. The leaders in this fellowship, especially those that are getting a salary, should be here midweek. I'm sorry. You should be trying to make it midweek. Okay? Because those are the two main times we meet and you should be encouraging each other in Christ. Amen?